We're in the middle of a sermon series on the table. And what we've been doing is walking through Luke's gospel and looking at all the places uh, within this book where Jesus sits down and dines with those that he loves. And the reason we've been doing this, right, is because we go through the same routine two or three times a day, all of us. And so often we can get caught up in the minutia of that and forget the purpose and the meaning of, of what could happen around that table. And so we've been looking through the scriptures, asking the question, well, what is the, what is the meaning of food? What did Jesus do to transform the table and how can we join him in that? And this morning, um, we're going to turn to one of the most well-known children's stories in all of scripture. Um, this is the story of Zacchaeus and the sycamore tree. Anybody have a, a, ever heard of Zacchaeus and the sycamore tree? Just kind of nod your head if you know this one. Yeah, you can probably remember that the children's time uh, uh, during a Sunday school, if you, your world is anything like mine, then up on the billboard, my Sunday school teacher had the words, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, you can say it with me, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. If you know that song, you know the basic plot line of that story. Um, we're going to talk about this, this man this morning who was rich in wealth, but who was weak in stature. That's what the scripture is going to teach us. But here's what I want to show us in our time today. Let me just set this up for a minute. This is not so much a story about a short man struggling to, to see Jesus in a crowd, nearly as much as this is a story about an almighty all-loving, all-graceful God who pursues us and when he finds us, changes our lives and the purpose for our life forever. We're going to look at this Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, and we're going to find Jesus not only coming to this man's house for a meal, but probably staying for many meals. Let's listen to this word this morning. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. So today's lesson is just a one word lesson. One word, three letters, boils down to one question. And this one word is so powerful. It has the ability to change the course of your life. No hyperbole at all. And the word is why. Why? Now, why is kind of an all-encompassing kind of word, so let me get more specific. When I ask why, what I mean to ask is, why did you get out of bed this morning? What is the purpose of your life? What is it that gives meaning to your existence? What is the mission statement of your being? Have you ever thought about that? Philosophers have debated this for centuries. 
Aristotle, in his book called Ethics, he argued that everything on this planet has some purpose or goal. And his position was that a person or a place or a thing was at its best when it was achieving the purpose for which it exists on earth. Why? Simon Sinek is an expert in business management and leadership. And years ago, he said something that stuck with me. He said, the maxim of any successful leader in any given situation is to understand the purpose and the reason for which you are there. Why? And this is perfectly logical, right? Really, whether you're a believer or not, all of us have this deep desire to know the answer to that question. Why am I here? What is the purpose for my place on this earth? So a chief tax collector climbs up a sycamore, a ficus sycamore tree. I've heard the tree could go as high as 60 feet tall from the ground. And as we open to read of this man hanging from these branches, hiding behind the cover of what would have been like patchy sort of leaves, it's clear by the context he's come searching for something more. He's heard of this man named Christ, and we're told, look at this in verse 3, he had wanted to see for himself who Jesus was. Now you might say, well, this is just a curious man who wants to get a better glimpse, heard a rumor or two. But the phrase in the Greek is in the imperfect tense, which tells us this, this is no last minute desire, right? This is not a random act. This was something Zacchaeus had been longing for for some time now in his life. He wanted to know more about this man. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. It's an interesting image, I think. You know, a, a tax collector. The mighty man at the top of the pyramid crime scheme. The, the one with all the power and the coinage is suddenly on a, a hidden, concealed mission. And he's looking down in this crowd wanting to get a glimpse. You might remember weeks ago we learned of his colleague Levi. Levi would have known all about Zacchaeus. He was one of the tax collectors himself. Jesus had come to him at the beginning of Luke's gospel and seeing him sitting in his own tax booth, he says, come on, let's go. And we learned in that lesson just how scandalous it was for Jesus to interact with such people. Tax collectors were known for being sellouts. They not only bullied their own kinsmen from behalf of Rome, taking money and tax from them, but then they required a little bit more for their own pockets. And now we meet Zacchaeus, a wee little man, and yet he's not so little as we might think. He's not a tax collector. He's the tax collector. He's the chief of tax collectors, the, the thief of all thieves. And by human standards, Zacchaeus had it all, right? He was working for the elite, powerful. He was the district manager of the wealthy. He was the richest man of all the tax collectors in the valley. And yet we learn very quickly that somehow in his gain, this man is entirely alone. He was an outcast. He was a sellout, tossed to the fringes, the side of society. You know, so often we read this story of Zacchaeus and we, we read it about his stature, this wee little man, and that stature kept him from Jesus. He was short, we're told. But look a little bit deeper with me at this verse, verse 3. The reason this tax collector is in the sycamore was on account of the crowd. I'd bet there is other short people down in that crowd. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but, but he knew that if he went down into the streets, that wasn't going to play. He didn't stand a chance. He was probably going to get violent. 
So the man climbs a tree, this rich man climbs up into this tree, hoping and grasping and searching for something more. First world problems, right? I mean, this man had arrived in life, right? He's secure in his wealth. He's connected with power. And yet deep down, the only reason I can think he was in that tree was he was still looking. Clay Cockrell is a psychotherapist. He specializes in counsel to uh, the uber rich and famous. He talks about the biggest issue that his clients face in their success. Can you guess what it is? He said the biggest issue time and time again, these are his words, is the guilt and depression, he says, that comes with the lack of reason for getting out of bed. The money isn't the issue. The the success isn't the issue. The, The wealth isn't the problem. It's the purpose. They've made it. All their goals accomplished, comfortable and cozy. But then comes the question. Now what? Why am I here? So Zacchaeus, this this man who likely never earned an honest dime in his life, he stole it. He climbs this tree to see what he could see. Look at this, what happens next in verse 5. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up, said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Now, this is quite the odd interaction, right? For several reasons, some of which you can probably guess. for the invite, not the other way around. The third reason this would be super odd, right? And probably much more unique is that this request was not a casual request. This came with a sense of urgency. Jesus says, hurry up, let's go. Can you imagine, just think this out with me. Can you imagine the sweet pea parade, right? And you're standing there and one of the governors is walking down the street. He says, hey, Ryan, I'm coming over for dinner and I'm coming right now. Can you imagine the feeling that that would bring up inside of you? And yet it's now at this place that we we see the spirit begin to move upon this man's life in a way that would have probably made the front page of the Jericho Times. And we're told this man's response was threefold. Stay with me here. There were three things Zacchaeus does right out the gate in response to this calling of Jesus in his life. If you've never known Jesus before, if you're still on the fence, you're trying to figure out what this this faith thing means, listen carefully in verse 6. Three things Zacchaeus does in response to who Jesus is. First, he hurried, then he received, and then he rejoiced. 
He hurried, he came down, he received, and he did so with joy. Zacchaeus, this, this man who was looking for something more, at the very least had this curiosity as to who Jesus was. He's suddenly been called by name by the Savior of the world, and now instantly we find there is a renewed and restored sense of purpose in his life. Remember, this is a, a one-word sermon. We're just circling the answer. Why? It's interesting, Zacchaeus begins this, this journey thinking he's on the search. Right? The scripture says he was seeking to see Jesus. And yet what we quickly find is, is all the while, Jesus was on a search and rescue mission for him. This is the story of our faith, right? This, this is the story of how we find purpose in life. I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. You know, people say all the time, when I found Jesus, I was 14 years old at Bible camp. Or when I found Jesus, I had went through a season just down and out and I was searching. And, and whenever I hear that question, I always wonder, wait, time out. You found Jesus. I didn't know Jesus was lost. See, look at this passage, right? All the while, Jesus has been pursuing Zacchaeus. This lesson, I think it teaches us something weighty. It's a profound mystery. That when you have an encounter with Christ by the Holy Spirit, there is now a sense of urgency in your heart to come down from whatever place you've been hiding or hoping to find hope. And now suddenly you can't help but be overwhelmed at the reception of his grace and mercy. He hurried, he received, he rejoiced. One of the fastest growing trends in our society today is the quest for happiness. You agree? It's a search for, for something more, right? We become this self-absorbed people who will do anything for a happy high. And like Zacchaeus, I think we've come to understand that the, the meaning of life, the nuance to life is to build as much wealth and comfort and power and pleasure as we are able to. I looked up the word happy in the Amazon bookstore this week. There's thousands of reads. Listen to some of these titles, all under self-help, which is its own oxymoron. Just listen to these. The how of happiness. The scientific approach to getting the life you want. Mind hacking happiness, the fastest way to happiness and controlling your mind. Secrets to an authentic happiness. 12 steps to heal and manifest an empowered life. In a recent study that tried to quantify this phenomenon, scholars wrote this. Look at this. They said, happiness without meaning characterizes a relatively shallow, self-absorbed, or even selfish life in which things may go well and needs and desire are easily satisfied and difficult or taxing entitlements are avoided, but you're still left wondering why. They went on to explain. They said, leading a happy life is associated with being a taker. Leading a happy life is associated with being a taker, while leading a meaningful life corresponds with being a giver. Zacchaeus, in this moment of urgency, right, of receiving God's grace, he doesn't even let Jesus get a word in. Look at this in verse 8. Lord, half my goods I'll give to the poor right now. If I've defrauded anyone or, or anything, I restore it fourfold. You see it? Of all the things that would have made Zacchaeus happy in one encounter with Christ, he gives it all up. 
In response to this man, Zacchaeus cannot help but turn from the, the wretched ways of his life because in inviting or having Jesus invited over to your house, you have salvation invited now into your life. Just ask this question with me. Who is this divine man who time and time again walks into sinners' houses for a meal? And this time it's not just any sinner, right? This is a powerful, rich thief of a sinner. Who does that? Who leaves the crowds behind in his own reputation? That's what the crowds were thinking, right? Verse 7, when they saw it, they grumbled. He's eating with a sinner again. You know, it wasn't long before Jesus, long before this, that Jesus had met with another rich man. You might remember the story of the rich young ruler. In Luke 18, we learn that unlike Zacchaeus, um, this rich young ruler, he approaches Jesus and he's done all the right things. He's not the chief tax collector. He's not the chief of sinners. He says, I followed your law to a T. And he asked Jesus, he said, so what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, oh, that's easy. Go and sell everything you have. Luke tells us the rich man's countenance fell because he had many things. The disciples watch this moment. They, they ask one another out loud, if, if this man who had kept the law can't get in, who can be saved? Who then could be saved? This question sort of lingers in Luke's gospel. And then you turn the page and a chapter later, you come to our story where Jesus is with yet another man who had probably stolen money from thousands. The entire wealth of Zacchaeus is fraudulent. And as Jesus sits with the sinner in, in his repentance, he declares salvation over his house. It's crazy. I loved how one commentator put this. Notice that Jesus now absorbs all the shame and hostility of the crowd. They're no longer looking at Zacchaeus. They're now looking at Christ. Ask the question with me. Ruminate on this with me one more time. Why would Christ leave this crowd in the streets, risk his own reputation to chase after the most despised transgressor in the area, to eat at a man's house who people had already done away with? Why would Jesus do that? Here's the punchline. Jesus knew his purpose. If you had asked him why he got out of bed that morning, he knew exactly his mission. He was locked on. Nothing was going to change that. See, hear this. This is super important. In the midst of every Sunday school lesson, this story, tucked within that song that we, many of us have learned growing up in those short 10 verses, is a very, very important reality of our faith. And chances are we skipped right over it. This is not a story about Zacchaeus. This is a story of why Jesus Christ came to earth in the first place. Look at this in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Why? For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. That's the mission statement. That's the purpose Jesus said, I'm on a search and rescue mission. I came to seek and save those whose lives are in peril, whose souls are wandering, whose days are empty. If you have your Bibles, turn, turn to Matthew 121. If not, I'll just paraphrase for you. I told you last Sunday I'm in the Christmas mood. 
The angel comes to Joseph, right? And he tells, tells Joseph, you're going to have a son. And Joseph's thinking, wait, wait, what, what is this all about? Wait, why is this happening? And he says, name him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sin. See, from the beginning, Jesus was locked on. Search and rescue, search and rescue, search and rescue. What does that mean for us, though? 2016, Madeline Dorado had one last shot qualifying for the Summer Olympics. Madeline was competing for a position on the U.S. swim team, and the stakes really couldn't be any higher. She was entering her mid to late 20s, and she knew this was probably her last chance. Add to that that four years before that, in 2012, she had attempted to make the Olympics and failed out of all of the events. And so a reporter asked her about the pressure of this, this, this moment. In response of all things she could talk about, she talked about her faith. Look at what she said. She said, I'm not sure God really cares about my swimming. That's not the end purpose to make the Olympic team. So the reporter asked her, he said, well, okay, well, if that's true, then what, what, is, what does your God care about? This is what she said. She said, I think God cares more about my soul and whether I'm bringing his love and mercy into the world. Just so happens, Madeline not only qualified, but meddled in multiple events and kept bringing glory to God. Zacchaeus, you come down. And from that moment on, his purpose in life was now attuned with the mission of God in Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Look again at verse 18. Jesus says over and over again in his gospel, I came for the poor. I came for the hurting, for the lost. Now Zacchaeus is all in. Right? He's so overcome. What does he do? Half my possessions going to the poor with you, Jesus. I'm living for something greater. That's half crazy. God's word tells us all over and over again. God's desire is for justice. God's desire is to see the wrongs of this world made right. That's the reason for Jesus in the first place, right? What does Zacchaeus say? He says, I want to make all the wrongs of my life right too. If anyone I have defrauded, give them back fourfold. You wonder, why, why did he just give half of his possessions up? You got to wonder if he burned the other half on the fourfold. I mean, I wonder how life would change if we truly understood that why. If Jesus is on a search and rescue mission, what does that mean for us as followers of him? This week, uh, our staff and elders, our safety team, some of our children's ministries leaders uh, gathered for an overdue CPR class. And I tell you, you have never been safer sitting in the seats of the sanctuary. Just try me. We know how to use the AED now. But our instructor, his name was Q. And he caught us something uh, that he called the, the bystander effect. He warned us about this thing called the bystander effect. He said, when someone goes into cardiac arrest, often what will happen is a mob will form around them, but they'll do so in paralysis. And no one acts. They all assume someone else is going to take the lead. And I thought, thanks, Q, that'll preach. That's how I'll wrap up my sermon. Now, if Jesus is on a, a search and rescue mission for that which is lost, how much more so for us who have put our faith in Christ, called by name with the same sense of urgency, should we? See, our purpose, no matter what we do, is to live for God and enjoy him forever. That's what the Westminster tells us, right? To worship him and join in what we call the Missio Dei, the mission of God. Because as someone once wiser than me said, 
When a beggar's given bread, you can't help but go tell the other beggars where you receive the goods. So here's my assignment. I want to make this really tangible. Go home this afternoon and write out your purpose. If you don't have a mission statement for your life, you might just be wandering. What? Why? Why are you here? I've told you mine before. I came up with it some, somewhere between the mountains of Colorado and Montana. I just want to fish for fish and fish for people. You can put that on my tombstone. Make one for your family. Put it on a plaque. Put it on your dashboard. Put it in your office. Hide it in your wallet. Nearly every time in scripture that you find someone healed, blessed, or saved by an encounter with Jesus, what do they do? They act immediately with purpose in line with who God is and the mission he's called us to. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He lines us up with the plans and purposes with God over and over again, such that it's not our kingdom, but his. Let's ask God to reorient our, our lives to that this morning. Will you pray with me? Lord, we know why you sent your one and only son. You told us by your very word that whoever would believe and you would not perish but have everlasting life, that you saw a world that was lost and wandering and broken, soaked in sin and sorrow and anguish. And so you sent your son on a search and rescue mission. And God, we see time and time again in the scriptures where, where Jesus pursues us, seeks after us, calls us by name, invites himself into our lives, Lord, such that we would be changed, our hearts would be regenerated, and we would follow you. So God, we just confess the times where we've walked aimlessly on this earth, where we've chased after the, the idols of our days. God, and we know, as the author of Ecclesiastes says, it's all vanity upon vanities compared to knowing you. So Lord, help us, each of us in this room, to find our purpose in the name of Jesus, just as we found our salvation in the name of Jesus. God, that we would live for you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.